Now I'd like to invite all the children to move a little bit closer so that you can see me and I can see you. And I think I'm going to look at this camera right here. So maybe you can see me and I'm imagining all of your sweet faces uh, in your homes this morning. I want to talk a little bit with you this morning about prayer. Sometimes we think that we don't really know how to pray, that prayer must be something that only grown-ups really know how to do, or it's kind of hard. We're supposed to know these big words or somehow be experts in prayer. But really, prayer is talking to God and listening to God and just spending time with God. Sometimes it helps me to think about God as a friend. In this Bible story that Mr. Frank just read for us, there are two friends who are walking down a road together. And they're both feeling sad, and they're both talking about how they're feeling and what they've been through. And suddenly, Jesus comes alongside them. Now, they don't recognize him. They don't know he's Jesus, but they treat him like a friend. And they start telling him how they're feeling. And he listens, and he cares about them, and then he shares with, with them and starts to give them some hope that things might get better. And so I want you to think about just talking to God as a friend. It's really hard right now when we are supposed to be staying in our homes and we don't get to have playdates with our friends or, or go outside and play with our friends and throw the ball back and forth or do the hula hoop together. And so it can be hard when you're not able to see your friends. But maybe it will help to think about God being your friend. And any time you want to, you can take a walk with God and talk to God. You can talk to God in your room any time at all. And God will be right there to listen. Let's talk to God right now as our friend. Loving God, you are like a friend to us. You're with us all the time. We're never separated from you. And we thank you for that. Help us to talk to you like a friend. To trust that you love us no matter what. Help us to listen for anything you might have to say to us. And help us just to enjoy being with you. We miss our friends, O oh God, and we thank you that you are a friend to us. Help us all to stay connected in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much, and I'm giving you a virtual hug through the computer. To dive into our story together this morning, we're going to have to go back in time to Easter Sunday. Not Easter Sunday two weeks ago, even though that feels like it was about eight years ago, but I mean Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago, the very first Easter morning. That first Easter morning, before the disciples of Jesus knew that he was alive again. In Luke's gospel, we find them all huddled together 
not just the 11 disciples, but a larger group of those who had been following Jesus and considered themselves to be his disciples. Some of the women had gone to the tomb that morning and found it empty. And they'd met angels who told them that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And so they went and they knocked on the door of this gathering of the other disciples and they told them what they'd seen, but they were not believed. And so most of the disciples of Jesus were at this place of hopelessness and grief. And there were two of them, in fact, who had totally given up. It's in the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel that we meet them. They're two disciples we've never met before, and we only know the name of one of them, Cleopas. It may be on purpose that Luke doesn't tell us the name of the other one. Maybe by leaving this other disciple anonymous, he's inviting us to put ourselves in the story. He's inviting us, the disciples of Jesus today, to put ourselves in their shoes and to imagine what it must have been like to be them. There are two places in this story in particular that I really identify with these two disciples today. There's something about their experience that resonates so much with our experience in this moment right now. The first moment comes when, when Jesus, the risen Christ, appears to them and begins walking with them. Now, they don't know it's Jesus. In their eyes, he's just a stranger. They don't recognize him. But he just comes alongside them and, and asks them, what is it that you're talking about as you walk along? And Luke tells us they stood still, looking sad. I really feel for them in that moment. They are paralyzed by their grief. They have lost so much. They've lost everything and they don't know where to go from here. They had put all of their hopes in Jesus. They believed they understood what God was doing in Jesus. They were on a path. They had a purpose. They were ready to follow Jesus wherever he would lead. And then now he's gone. He's dead. He's been defeated by the religious leaders and by the powers of Rome. And it's all over. And now they have no purpose, they have no path, they don't know what to do, they're cut adrift. I don't know about you, but I feel that way a lot these days. I thought we were on a path, I thought I knew where the near future was taking us, I had a purpose, I had things I needed to do, that life was going on, and suddenly everything has stopped for so many of us. I know there are, are many who are working harder than ever in the hospitals and, and in the grocery stores trying to keep our economy going, trying to keep people healthy. But for many of us, life has really come to a standstill. And like these two disciples, we stand still, looking sad, grieving for all that we've lost. 
Jesus, their anonymous companion, asks them to tell him more about their experience. And so they begin to talk about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, great in the eyes of God and all the people. And they explain to him how they understood who Jesus was and what his mission was and what God was up to. And then they say the three saddest words in all of Scripture, I think. We had hoped. We had hoped, but we don't hope anymore. They have lost all hope in what they thought God was doing. Boy, those three words resonate for me today, and perhaps for you too. We had hoped to be celebrating a wedding this weekend. We had hoped to be celebrating a graduation with our son in a few weeks. That's my story. We had hoped to take a mission trip to Guatemala this spring. We had hoped that his body would be able to fight off the virus. We had hoped that this new job would be the one that stuck. We had hoped to be able to stay in our apartment. We had hoped. We had hoped. My friends, in this moment in our world's history, there are so many of us who are grieving what we have lost. And for some of us, with things like weddings and graduations, we tell ourselves, oh, that's not as important as some of these other things. And I think that's true. Some of these losses are ones that we can work through and get past, while others have suffered the, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job. But all of it is grief. Whatever it is that you have lost, in these days and weeks. It is very deep and real grief. And this story invites us to name it. And to name it before Christ, our companion. See, these two disciples help us name where we are. But then the story opens up a whole other level of hope. Because now we can turn our eyes on this stranger and see how it is that he comes alongside these disciples. We know, as readers of the story, that the stranger is the risen Christ himself. And even though the two disciples on the road don't know it yet, we get to observe how Jesus walks with them and talks with them. In a very gentle, quiet way, he comes alongside them and just says, tell me what you're talking about. He meets them right where they are. In fact, he goes out of his way to find them. They've left the other disciples behind. They've left Jerusalem. They've given up. And he goes out to find them. 
And he meets them right where they are and just asks them to tell me more. Tell me about where you are, what you're feeling, what your experience has been. And he listens with love and compassion and asks deeper questions. And then, after they've been able to lay it all out before him, he begins to guide the conversation. And he turns them toward the scriptures. And he notices that how they have understood him and his mission and what God was up to was far too small. He begins to open up the scriptures and tell them and reveal to them the long story of what God's great plan has always been from the beginning of time and how these most recent, recent events of Jesus' death have now led to the salvation of the world because the Messiah has been raised. And as he opens the scriptures to them, their hearts begin to stir. Their eyes are not fully opened yet. They don't recognize him completely for who he is yet. But already there's something about him, and they want to spend more time with him. They want to stay with him. And so once they arrive at their destination in Emmaus, as the stranger starts to walk away, they say, wait, stay with us. And the word they use there in the Greek is the same word as abide. Abide with us. Remain with us. They know enough to want more. And so it is they invite him in. And they gather at the table and suddenly their guest becomes their host. He is now the host at the table. And he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And it is in that moment that their eyes are fully opened. There's so many ways in which this story of the two companions traveling to Emmaus is like a metaphor for the journey of discipleship of that journey of becoming a disciple of Jesus for the very first time. Jesus meets us where we are in life, walks with us along the way, and through the teachings of the scriptures and spending time with other believers, we, we come to learn of him and learn the stories and begin to appreciate it with our minds. But the moment comes when we have to invite him in to our lives. And that's where he takes up residence at the host of the table of our hearts. It's a beautiful metaphor for the journey into discipleship. But I know that many of you made that invitation to Christ a long time ago, maybe at your confirmation or sometime later as a teenager or later in life. You made the decision to say, yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want Jesus to be the head of my table. But even so, this story of the two disciples on the way to Emmaus can be an invitation to invite Jesus into this moment 
this moment in our lives. I remember years ago when I first started in ministry, I was on staff uh, at a large church and there was a retired pastor who was our pastor of visitation. And he spoke really quietly. He didn't say much, but everything he said was so wise. I remember him one day talking about how we give God the keys to our life and then we take them back again. Every day we're taking the keys back from God. And I think the same can be said of this story. We find ourselves over and over again in our lives in this place of standing still and feeling sad. This place where we've decided that God is, is in a box and that we've understood all there is to know about God. But again and again, God comes alongside us, meets us where we are, and stretches and widens our understanding of who God is and what God is up to in the world. And then once again, we have the opportunity to invite that God to take the seat at the head of the table in our lives. So my friends, the invitation comes right from the pages of the scriptures this morning, from this beautiful, powerful story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples. He stands ready, the risen Christ, who has met us right where we are in this moment. Let us invite him in and allow him to break bread and feed us and be the Lord of our lives once again.